Welcome to another episode of The Plunge. We just came off an insane weekend of NFL football, uh, so we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about the Bills and the Colts, the Seahawks and the Rams, and the Steelers and the Browns. And then after that, we're going to the trending headlines of this week in NBA, uh, such as the COVID-19 stuff, the Toronto Raptors and their struggles, and the Oklahoma City Thunder and their hot start to the season. And then after that, we're going to answer another question from one of our listeners. So, Nate... We're going to start off with the Bills and the Colts. The Colts lose to the Bills 27-24 in a very close game. So did this game say more about the Colts' abilities or the Bills' inabilities? Yeah, this game said more about the Colts' abilities. The Colts have been a really good team all year. I mean, they have great players in their defense and Xavier Rhodes as a defensive back and DeForest Buckner, Darius Leonard and... What you hadn't seen before was how good a job Philip Rivers has done with this team. I mean, he looked really good in this game. His leadership has been there all season. And I really hope to see Philip Rivers stick around for another year because, as I said before, he used T.Y. Hilton well. He used Jonathan Taylor well. I mean, he was looking all over the field and he really helped lead that offense in a way that in a way that they'd been lacking since Andrew Luck had gone, and he was a big improvement on Jacoby Brissett from the year before, and I hope for his sake that he comes back and plays another year because this Colts team could really be something, and I really think that they were the third best team in the AFC this year, and I thought it would have been interesting to see them play another AFC team this weekend. I thought they could have moved on if they didn't have to go against this high-powered Bills offense. And This game definitely said more about the ability of the Colts and the inabilities of the, of the Bills were overstated just because you, know, you have this great offense and their defense lacks a little bit, but still this offense continues to be explosive. It continues to win close games, and Josh Allen didn't really look phased by the playoff stage at all, where he had only been one year before. So, Yeah, I mean, the Colts were really doing well this season, and it just sucked to see uh, you know, a guy in Phillip Rivers who's been trying his entire career trying to get deep into the playoffs and you've seen that with the in the charge with the chargers back in those days and just seeing him lose this game really sucked for him uh, but at the same time i i've been a big fan of the bills this season uh watching josh allen and stefan diggs was so entertaining and that that tandem is just super super deep and and talented and and everyone will love to see them play more in the playoffs so yeah it just sucked for the colts and i guess for the colts you know i mean um, it, I think father time has really starting to, to get to Philip Rivers. Like he's got nine kids. I think it's time for him to, you know, hang it up a little bit, but I don't know. He, he's a good, he's a good guy and, and we'll see what he does. Yeah. It's definitely going to be tough for him. I mean, he's got a big family now and I think he really enjoyed playing this year. He looked really good out there. And like I said before, he should come he should come back for another year and I think you could maybe see CBS coming and taking a look at him uh, for an analyst position but if he does come back again next year I hope it's with this Colts team because they could really do something in the AFC they're young and 
their defense is very talented and they have good run game now so I'd be happy to see him back next year so moving on uh another game we saw this weekend was the Browns playing the Steelers and the same old Browns destroyed the Big Brother Steelers so what are their chances to beat the Chiefs um they got a chance I mean they played really well against the Steelers like right from the jump um, that snap fumble that they made in the first play of the Steelers um, it went over Ben's head. And I think actually when I looked looked at that replay again, I think James Conner and Ben Roethlisberger were the first two guys literally back on the ball because they're they're the first, they're the closest to the ball in that play. But they somehow just didn't get possession of the ball. Like I think maybe it was some sort of miscommunication after looking looking back at that. But and you kind of saw James Conner just slip on the ball a little bit and and not be able to secure that. But either way. I mean, the Browns played a really good game. Um, right from that fumble touchdown thing, uh, they really capitalized on just uh, the aggression that they had against on defense against the Steelers' offense and really taking advantage of, of Ben Roethlisberger and his immobility as a quarterback. Like, he, he's not really a scrambler and he's more of a pocket passer. So I think their defense really took advantage of that in terms of being really aggressive. And then from that, uh, the offense just built off of the aggression. And so... Yeah, it's it's a really tall order for them to take on the Chiefs next week. And and I think Kevin Stefanski might be back on the sidelines. That's that's what I heard, but um even then just playing the Chiefs is going to be very very hard when you got a guy in Patrick Mahomes who's just won a Super Bowl last year and who are bound to make another Super Bowl appearance this year. Um it'll be a very good game, but I I still pick the Chiefs to pick to to win this game. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the the Browns, they had a, a great game against the Steelers. Their defense was playing well, and their run game has been good. And Baker has really gone into that role of complementing the run game well, where he's not the main focal point of their offense, but he continues to put up good stats, and he doesn't turn over the ball. And, but I still give this Browns team about a 10% chance of beating the Chiefs. I mean... The Browns have all the tools that are necessary to beat the Chiefs. They don't turn the ball over much. They have a good run game. They keep possession for a lot of the game. But still, the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, which will make them the favorite for every game they play in for the next five years, in my opinion. And I just don't see the Browns as a team who could upset them despite showing great things in that win against the Steelers. Yeah, like Baker Mayfield has made a name for himself for sure this year. And even just the entire Browns team uh, itself, they face so much adversity uh, through COVID. And and just being able to get to the spot where they beat the Steelers and, and they move on to play the Chiefs, they'll be riding a lot of momentum into that game. But yeah, I'm still not sure if they can really pull it off. But it'll be a very entertaining game for sure. Moving on. The Seahawks and the Rams. The Hawks were stifled by the Rams D and they lose despite their defense playing really well. So what are your takeaways from this game? And from that, what changes do you really expect to see from the underachieving Seahawks this offseason? Yeah, well, to start this off, I mean, the Rams defense looked really good and they did a lot of great things. They got to the quarterback and Jalen Ramsey continues to lock up DK Metcalf whenever they meet. But you have to look at this Seahawks team and really evaluate at what point did their offense start to spur out this season. And that that goes to week seven in Arizona where 
Russell Wilson was really in charge of the game without any of their running backs healthy and this game really got out of handy through three picks he lost the game and since then you've you've seen a very timid version of Russell Wilson I mean credit to the Rams in this game but the Seahawks play calling Russell Wilson's execution it it was all poor in this game and he continued to to reel off of the that week seven after a stellar start to the season and this this offense continues to not be able to move the ball efficiently and those 30 and 40 yard chunk plays that they got at the start of the year became fewer and far between as this season progressed so I expect you could look at an offensive coordinator like Brian Schottenheimer and his play calling was pretty terrible down the stretch as they continue to play really conservative offense and you could see the offensive coordinator Schottenheimer be fired this season I would expect a new offensive coordinator next year just because the expectations were so high for this team this year yeah I mean I watched the entire game yesterday and that was probably one of the slowest offensive games I've seen from the Seahawks ever um and just seeing DK Metcalf being really mad and and kind of um rising the tensions in that on the sidelines in the beginning of the game where he wasn't getting enough touches um just really uh spoke to how that game was going to go and sure he got a he finally got that touchdown late in the first half um on the deep ball right by by Russ but even then like they really couldn't do anything else and just that wide receiver screen pass to Metcalf that was picked off for pick 6 early in the game it was just so embarrassing um and 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 credits to the Rams defense like they they read that really well uh, but still like if if you're the Seahawks you really can't let that slide and and from that it was just so unfortunate because they couldn't really make a run and especially playing a team where you had Jared Goff who was injured and he wasn't 100% and and they just really couldn't capitalize so yeah it's just so unfortunate yeah one thing that really defined how this game was going to go for me was at the start of the game, they're in a third and six situation, and uh, Jacob Hollister, their tight end, runs like a two-yard slant route, and Russell Wilson decides to throw it to him with three defenders on him. There's no chance at the first down, even if he doesn't, even if he does catch it, and it it just kind of showed me that they were going to continue to run that conservative offense, and Russell Wilson's decision making was still in question to me at the start of this game. So that really set the tone for this one for me. Yeah, it, it, it just sucked. It was just an unfortunate collapse. Um, besides that deep ball to Metcalf, there really weren't any offensive risks that they'd taken in that game um, that really could have helped them win that game. So moving on, the NFL divisional matchups are slated to start this week. Nate, what are your predictions for the AFC? Yeah, to get into these games, uh, I'd just like to start by saying that my predictions were definitely pretty shoddy last week. I went one and two. I picked the Titans over the Ravens, and I picked the Steelers over who I thought were the better team in the Browns, but I thought that the loss of Stefanski would be a bit too much for them to pull out, but that wasn't how it ended up turning out. But to get to these games, we have the Bills and the Ravens first. So I have the Bills over the Ravens. I mean, Josh Allen last week, he went for 324 yards and two TDs on a really good 
Colts defense, a much better defense than the Ravens, in my opinion. And I mean, he just looks so effortless out there. He hits the right spots. As I said before, he he doesn't look phased by the playoffs or the big moment. And he continues to find his weapons and Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley downfield. And I don't know. I mean, Lamar Jackson had 179 yards passing last week and one interception. He had a great rushing game. And that was against a, a porous Tennessee defense. He had 136 yards on them. But that defensive line in Tennessee, it couldn't hold the contain against him. It's been bad all season. Their additions didn't really help in, in addressing an area that was of concern last year. So I have the Bills winning quite handily in this one. And then moving on to the next game, we have the Chiefs and Browns. And as I explained before, the Browns do the right things on offense. They they hold the ball, they keep the turnover margin down, and they usually win it. And I would look at this Browns team and say they have all the tools to win, and yet you're playing Patrick Mahomes, so the Chiefs are the Chiefs are definitely a favorite in this one. And I'm not going to go against the, the reigning Bo- Super Bowl MVP and Patrick Mahomes as him and his team continue to dominate the competition and they continue to find new ways to, to beat defenses. And he just has such a control over the game. So I expect this one to go to the Chiefs. And moving on from that, we have a couple of games in the NFC for the divisional uh, matchup this weekend. So who do you see coming out of the NFC this weekend in those matchups? Yeah, so I think I was two for three in my predictions. I think I did one better, but even then, I'm not really good at predicting NFL games. But here we go. Uh, Packers and Rams. Um, I'm going to choose the Packers over the Rams uh, just because of the, the couple of injuries that the Rams sustained against the Seahawks. I mean, Jared Goff. Um, his thumb is going to be a very big question heading into that game, as well as Aaron Donald's ribs. Um, Aaron Donald's a freak athlete, so I think he'll be fine. But even then, you're playing a Packers team who's got Aaron Rodgers, who's probably the most underrated quarterback that the league has ever seen in the past 10 years. Um, he, he just is known for just making or, or just showing up in big games like this. And when you have a wide receiver in Devontae Adams, he's probably the number one wide receiver in the NFL this season. Just look at his stats. Um that's going to be very hard to stop. And you got a running back in Aaron Jones, who's more than capable of, of establishing the run game. So the Rams D has, has a tall task in front of them. And so I'm, I'm going to pick the Packers over the Rams. And yeah, so moving on to the Saints and Bucks. Um, yeah, it's it's a duo of, of two old guys. Like Tom Brady, I, I don't even know how old he is. I think he's 50 now, 60. I don't even know. Either way, um, he's he's always going to ball out in big games like this. But I can't say the Bucks can win this game. I'm going to pick the Saints over them just because they're a more polished team. They got Michael Thomas back. He scored a touchdown last game, so he's got um, he's in his groove now, or starting to get in his groove at least. And just the Bucks, they I can't really trust them yet because they just lost to the Washington, or they just barely beat the Washington football team, who who um, Heineke actually played a really good game against them. So yeah, you you can't really trust the Buccaneers in this situation when you play a way better team than the Saints um, and you were also blown out by them earlier this season in a primetime game like crazy um, and that was really embarrassing and sure you could say like oh it's just a one-off game but yeah you, you never know but 
I, I still pick the Saints over the Bucks just because they're a more polished team than them. Yeah, I also continue to doubt this Bucks team. I mean, they haven't really won any big games all season, and I don't see this team as someone who is unbeatable because, like, you look at last week, I mean, sure, Heineke played the game of his life, and he probably set himself up with going to get a contract next season and maybe going to be a backup or competing for a starting job in Washington. And I don't know. I just don't see this team being good enough to be a deep team in the Saints who who have so many weapons in Kamara, Thomas, Sanders. And and I just don't see the Bucks winning this year. I think Tom will be back next year, but I guess we'll see how this goes. So moving on. With all the COVID cases popping up around the NBA, does it seem likely to you that they'll pause this season? No, but they will feel pressured to do so. And the reason I say that is because you you can't really pause games because Adam Silver said this a bunch of times, like COVID is just gonna continue on. It it's gonna it's gonna hit players and and you can't it's it's gonna be hard to, to suspend a season um and and but on the other side of it you will feel pressured um to to do to put a pause to the season just because you have teams like the 76ers like the Celtics who only have eight available players which is the minimum players that you need for an NBA game you only have eight guys ready to suit up each game so far and you have no idea how how much it's going to take a toll on these players especially this is a bunch of no name players and you got guys like Dwight Howard and Danny Green who are so old and they're playing like 35 to 40 minutes a game. It's it's just not suitable if you're Doc Rivers. And so having only eight players available to play a game, how long can you really sustain that? And and how long can you go before saying like, hey, we really need to pause the season? Um, but even then, like as of Tuesday, I think there's about 34 NBA players who are in, are in isolation in COVID protocols. Um, that's not too big of a number, but it has been increasing the past past few days. So, sure, it's it's not too big where where you're able to to still have NBA games where available, and um, you're able to to keep guys going as while enforcing um, proto, uh, protocols from COVID nineteen even more. So, yeah, I I just don't want the NBA games to to be suspended. Like I missed basketball. Um, I I really still want to watch their games. So. Yeah, I hope it doesn't suspend, but I don't think it will. Yeah, I don't think they can afford to. I mean, as they promised that the athletes would be ready for the Olympics, that that wouldn't fit with this timeline. And as I look at this this problem in the NBA, I think one of your solutions potentially could be expanding the roster. So maybe you bring up three guys from the G League or you have a, a 20 or an 18-man roster instead of your standard 15 just so you have en- enough guys to suit up for games. And I I also think these couple months, like you January and February right now, these are the peak months for COVID concerns because as, as more and more people get vaccinated in the States, I think they had like one and a half million people be vaccinated yesterday. I expect that the NBA will wait until the elderly and the immunocompromised people have the vaccine and they will wait their turn in some sense, but they won't wait with the rest of the general population. They will be shortly after the 
the high risk groups get it and I see this as being a helpful solution for them I mean the these months will continue to be a struggle for them but I see a, a light at the end of the tunnel maybe when it comes to April or May or that kind of area for the NBA season yeah and even then like vaccinations they you have to take I think two doses of them like one initially on the first day and then 28 days after you need the second dose for it to be fully effective so so because of that there is this factor of time that needs to be considered that sure if if you allow vaccinations to be held in the NBA you have it won't like take its effect immediately just like how it's it's not taking effect immediately right now in our world where it, it will take I think about a month or two months for it to really kind of settle settle down in NBA players and really prevent them from getting COVID and to your point about bringing in G League players and, and bringing in extra players to to fill the rosters that in itself is a huge risk because you're just adding more players into a so-called quote-unquote nba bubble um where you just add extra players who are who which increases the risk altogether of people getting covid so i don't know we'll see yeah it'll definitely be a process but i think you're looking at middle of this season or getting into the playoffs it won't be as big of an issue so you have that to look forward to and you're really just trying to get through these tougher months if you're the NBA and you're trying to stay on schedule so you can continue to work with what you had and that idea of doing playoffs in the early summer and having these athletes ready for the Olympics. But then you have situations where you're you're really increasing uh, players' chances of getting COVID where Kyrie's out with his uh with his family having a birthday party over this weekend and is just nowhere to be found and with no mask on. Yeah, Kyrie's just such a weird guy. Like he's probably one of the best offensive players in this league right now. But at the same time, off the court, he's just one of the weirdest guys ever and he has just the dumbest sound bites and the dumbest takes on anything. Like you ask him his opinion on one topic and he just starts talking about something completely different and, and just irrelevant because it's his takes are just so weird, but I don't know. Moving on. Um, the OKC Thunder, they've gone off to a really hot start this season. They're over 500, which nobody expected because they just traded away all their good players and Chris Paul and Steven Adams and all those guys. Um, so, and they've been led by a team and, uh, led by SGA, um, as well as Al Horford, who's basically a father to that team. He's just playing amongst kids. He's literally like 10 years older than every single player on that roster. <laughs> um, and so pairing this hot start to the season, as well as the million picks that they have in the first round of the draft and second round, um, what is this team's future? Yeah, well, this is really my team from last year. If you didn't get a chance to watch this team, they were really great last year. Chris Paul just just controlling the pace of every game and who's continually the best player on the floor for them night in and night out but this OKC roster has got me really excited I mean you have three building blocks maybe not all all-star players but you have three solid building blocks and Baisley and Dorrit and SGA who has potential to be a perennial all-star and there are, there are really two things that you need to have a successful rebuild in the NBA. The first one and the most obvious one is you need to bring in a lot of talent. If you don't have talent, then your team's not going to go anywhere. But the second one, which is ten, tends to be overlooked, is creating a culture. And 
this OKC team seems to have created culture so far. I mean, you you can see SGA. He he's really been brought up with Chris Paul, and he's been turned into this leader, this late game leader for this team, where he can come down and make those big plays down the stretch. I mean, it, I think they're on a four game win streak, and last game SGA had thirty one six and seven or something like that against the Nets. He's really been good this year, and they continue to excel as a team with a couple of veterans and an Al Horford and George Hill playing big minutes. And this t- this team continues to impress. But I'm really excited for their future because you look at, at this team. The next six years, they have 18 first round picks, and maybe you get a couple of top 10 guys, and those are those are part of your future building blocks. But you can also do a lot with this in terms of trades. I mean, you look at the last star player who was traded, who was probably Drew Holiday this offseason, and the Bucks sent over three first-round picks that were, like, in the 20 range for Drew Holiday. I mean, even if you take away three first-round picks from, from the Thunder the next six years and you get a, a star veteran player, you're still looking at, 15 first round picks in the next six years like you have so much you could do with this roster just because it's so young and and you have so many players who are already developing and this this team continues to to impress me and I think they could be back in the in the title races in three to four years I I agree with your take on the Thunder I mean they got a bunch of first round picks but at the same time um it depends on what you do with them and what you're saying about, you know, trading for a star in the future and, and, and using these picks, uh, for, for good. It's going to be a question of how many risks are you going to take and will those risks pay off or will they, will they just be a bust? And so, um, there's a lot of it. You got to be really careful if you're, if you're Sam Presti of the thunder, you got to be really careful in terms of how you're going to use these picks while also monitoring how your team is actually doing on the court. And and from from what, sh- what you're watching right now, like sure, there's a lot of improvement, but you have guys that are just studs and rising stars in SGA, Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, even Hamadou Diallo. I think he had like two straight double, like a double-double in like two games or something. And yeah, he scored 19 points, 19 points, 22 points in this past three games. So yeah, he's been a really good player off the bench, so... Yeah, they got a lot of prospects in terms of just um, where they're going to go. They have a bright future, but at the same time, you have to be really careful on uh, all the moves you're going to make because you can very easily be a, a huge bust and and just taking the risks, but they don't pay off. So I don't know. It's a very interesting team for sure, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited for this team because, you know, you see guys like like Dort, as we mentioned before, you shooting over forty percent from three this year. He's still playing great defense, and Baisley has had a couple of double doubles. And as you mentioned, Diallo has been great off the bench. But I just I just really like what this team has done. Like they they come and they play hard and they continue to fight, even though this is a year where they should be tanking. But I'm really excited for their future, and you should watch for this team coming up in the next couple of years. Yeah, so moving on, um, we'll move to another team in the Eastern Conference. We'll move to the Raptors. So 
How much leeway are people willing to give the Raptors before accepting the potential truth that they're just not the same anymore? I think they still got time. I think they got the rest of January to prove their worth. Um, and just because they're two and eight, I've I've looked up their their team stats and it, it's so weird. Like they're actually not as bad as you think. They're and and you could say like, oh, they've been having trouble closing out fourth quarters, and and that's totally true. They're up double digits against Portland yesterday, um, but and they lost. But they were ninth. They're ninth in fourth quarter points per game at twenty eight points per game. They're seventh in opponents' fourth quarter points per game, which leaves them at a fourth quarter margin of plus two point three points, which is good for sixth in the league. So when you look at those stats, you kind of have to look beyond that and and more to the qualitative side of, side of things and and away from the numbers and really just look at their personnel. You you you're you're Masai Ujiri. You're bringing Aaron Baines and Alex Len, and I was not too high on them at all. And you could clearly tell that they are total busts so far. Aaron Baines, I don't think he's even played in the last two games. Um, Alex Len is just horrible. Like he wasn't even like seen as a good player anyway. He was just like a second, third stringer center off the bench. And and that you could clearly see that coming to fruition. Like they're not playing well at all and the thing about Aaron Baines like sure he's he's really good like he's he's that you know tough guy that Steven Adams type of guy sets hard screens um get to the post kind of shoot but not really um but yeah you look at their centers and like they're they just can't do anything in this team especially on an offense where you rely so much on moving the ball um being quick and and even defensively switching switching really fast and having really that's kind of scramble mentality of of just having quick guys switching switching defenders and stuff like that and so maybe you have a solution in chris boucher who is who shot five from eight from three yesterday just lighting up the blazers he's averaging he's averaging four point fourteen points six rebounds and 2.6 blocks per game which is good for third in the league and he's shooting 47 percent from three so that that's a really great sign if you're a raptors fan um, but yeah, it's, it's really more of a matter of just putting, putting games together, stringing like a bunch of stops in, in late in the fourth quarter. And they couldn't do that against the Blazers last night. And, and it's acceptable because the Blazers, their offense, they can, they can really torch anybody. But, um, I think the rest of the games this month will really be telling in terms of, is this team actually legit or are they really a bust because of, the, the void they have in that five spot. They don't have that Serge Ibaka or Marcus All type of player. So, Yeah, it goes to show you, like, you look at that team and how they've been constructed over the past few years, and they've always had a team who's grown together and had that defense-first mentality, and they really grew into that championship squad. And, of course, the addition of Kawhi was only for a year, but he already had that same mentality where he's a great offensive player, but he puts a defensive side of the ball first. And he plugged in well there. He became that shot creator that they didn't have before and they needed desperately. But yeah, you you lose guys like Ibaka and Gasol, and it's not a ton of talent, but you plug in guys and they just don't understand the system. They mess up the chemistry. They they aren't aren't players who contribute to that culture and you can just see how that's tearing away at the Raptors right now. I mean, you have four players in that starting lineup who have been with that team forever, and you expect they should be almost as good as last year, but just that void of having a strong center in there and 
Baines and and Len have really been letdowns in terms of in terms of being a part of that culture and really fighting with that team. They they both have their moments, but they can't continually keep it up. And I see this team maybe going towards Boucher, but you still go through those struggles of he's not big enough. And you, you saw him in a game against Philly earlier this year. He played like five minutes, had three fouls, and just got killed by Embiid on the block. So I'm not sure how the Raptors move forward from this, but I think their struggles are real and they could continue to struggle down the stretch. And I mean, Siakam's been playing much better lately. He missed a couple of game winners the past couple nights, but he's been starting to find his groove. So you could see them improving from that, but I'm not sure if this team is built to be as good as it was the past few years. Yeah. Do you know what they need right now? Like, which player they need right now? They need Rondé Hollis-Jefferson back on the team. Like, <laughs> like you just need a guy who just literally chases after the ball no matter what the circumstances in, are in the game. Just You just need that kind of dog who just chases after the ball, gets into, like, gets into a bunch of, like, physical fights in the paint and just grabs those aggressive rebounds because Aaron Baines is too slow to get those chase those rebounds. Chris Boucher... Chris Boucher is too skinny and will be just boxed out by anybody. Um, but yeah, I, I really feel for the Raptors. It's It's been a tough year for them. But I, I, I believe that they can turn around, but time time is, is just of the essence. Um, I just want to quickly go to the talk about that Blazers game yesterday. I, I, I watched the game yesterday and a little bit on, on CJ McCollum. He's just such a funny guy. And, and he's probably like one of the most nonchalant players in the NBA. Like... He, I, I think he's one of those few players who sees the NBA kind of like a, like as like a work day, like a nine to five day, where he just comes into work, drops thirty five on whatever team it is, um, works with some colleagues, and then go home to your newly wedded wife and your dog and just relax, and then just do it all over again, the next day. Um, CJ is such a fun guy to watch. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I've been a big CJ McCollum hater for a long time. I really wanted them to trade because. I think I think that their skill sets are kind of redundant, but man, James Harden must have told him the uh, the secret to becoming a thirty five point per game scorer is to gain twenty five pounds because he's looking big lately. Like I I mean he's not just looking like he gained some muscle, but he's looking like he's packing on some pounds. But he's been really good and he's scored really well. He shot the three really well, and he continues to to give them that secondary option but I see CJ and Dame kind of becoming 1A and 1B lately because Dame hasn't been quite as good as as you would have hoped this year and I I'm interested in what this Trailblazers team could do just because they have had the same roster for a long time and they've they've fallen in the playoffs repeatedly but I don't know, with CJ playing like this, I don't, I don't know if he can keep it up, but this team could be more of a threat than they were in your years past. So. Yeah, I mean, but judging by the way that they're playing now, I mean, they have a lot of improvement. Like, I could go on and on about the Blazers, but um, yeah, just just I'm just going to say a quote from him uh, on regarding his game-winning shot yesterday. Um, yeah, someone asked him about the game-winning shot, and he's like, as my brother would say, baby food, you know. You get the baby out the street, finish him off, and go home. 
tuck your wife in, tuck your dog in, and start your next day. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny because he's just the most chill guy. Just, he just sees the NBA as a work day. He just goes to work, drops 40 on kids, and then does it all again the next day. Um, he's, he just has that killer mentality. He's a shark. That's what, that's what he said yesterday. Um, so moving on to our last segment of the day. Um, a listener from my podcast asked another question regarding expansion teams in the NBA. Why has Seattle and Las Vegas gotten more popularity over cities like Vancouver, the one we live in? And, and so he would like just to um, know our thoughts on this. So Nate, why don't you start us off? Yeah, well, I think Seattle is an obvious one on this one, just because it has such a rich basketball history there. And you look at the Seahawks, they probably have the best home field advantage in the league. And that city is just starving for more sports. I mean, they've added the Kraken, which will help some, but they really are a basketball city and basketball has to return there soon. So that's an obvious choice. Your second choice being Las Vegas. It comes down to what makes more sense as a as a place to really start a franchise and start a successful franchise. And you look at say like Vegas, and it brings in a lot more young players to to Vegas rather than Vancouver, just because you have the nightlife there. It's good weather there, and and people are gonna buy into this. And also, people playing in the NBA right now will be really receptive to adding a team to Vegas just because a lot of guys go there on their off days when they want to go and party and everything and that just makes Vegas too good of an opportunity to pass up on if you're the NBA and it's a fan base that you can see with the with the Golden Knights and of course this year you didn't really get to see it with the Raiders because limited fans but it is unfortunately a, a better destination for an NBA team at this time. Not because there isn't a fan base in Vancouver, but you have to weigh, well, the American dollar and what is going to be your profits in American dollars as a franchise. And then you also have to weigh where are players likely to go and where is a franchise likely to be the most successful. And at this point, I would say it would make sense to go to Vegas just because, like I mentioned, location and and all these factors kind of favor Las Vegas as the place to be. Yeah, I mean, the only case you can make for Vancouver is that, you know, Toronto won the NBA championship two years ago, and you could say that um, popularity in the NBA probably has grown a lot since then um, just because it's Canada and they're, like, we're a hockey-dominated uh, country and it's our main sport so i think um we we would really love to see you know cities like vancouver um within a country like canada um gain more popularity and interest in basketball and 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 hopefully that that happened through toronto winning a championship but yeah it's it's hard to to say that you could remake the grizzlies in vancouver and and one other thing is is geography and they are geographically just so far away from every other team in the U.S. And even even considering Portland, I think they they always lead the league in the most miles traveled, because they just they're just so far away in in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but and another reason that you could add Vancouver if is if you add Vancouver and Seattle as two expansion teams, that would be so interesting because then you create like a mini Pacific 
you know, rivalry between Vancouver, Seattle, and Portland, which we are, you already have in the MLS for soccer. Um, so that, that would be a possibility, but I don't know if that will come to fruition. But um, another side to our listeners' question is, if you were, na- if you were to name um, the new expansion team, what would you name them? Yeah, well, I haven't really thought about this too much, but I don't know. There are a lot of birds in professional sports, so maybe you go with something like the the Vegas Vultures or something <laughs> like that, but that might not be my like perfect name for them, but I'm going to shoot that one over to you first, and then maybe I'll respond to that one again <laughs> after. So what's, what's your ideal name for this new expansion team in Vegas? Because I you mean, have to stick with the Supersonics for Seattle, yeah. of course. And then the Grizzlies for, for Vancouver. But, I mean, I, I'm on board with you in terms of all the – in terms of naming, like, a team like a bird. Like, I think Vulture is a, is a very good name for Vegas. It's, it's got alliteration. It's in, like, the letter V. Um I know the guys at PTI would go crazy if if they if we were to name uh, the Las Vegas team like a mythical creature because I remember watching them. I don't really watch them that often, but there there's a video I watched on YouTube where they're just reacting to the the Seattle Kraken, the NHL team, when the name was introduced, and they're like, "Oh my goodness, what the heck is this name? Like the Kraken is like a mystical creature, it doesn't even exist." <laughs> but then, like people in the comments and like people on social media just clapping back at them, saying like, "The Toronto Raptors don't exist. The Raptor is extinct." <laughs> like, and you're fine with that. So it's like I don't know. It's it's just funny, but um, I, I I have no idea what kind of name. I'm really bad with naming teams, but I think Vulture is the way to go. You could even like. Um, create a theme around vulture like grab the most scrappy like players just like a vulture just like scavengers basically of the nba like pat beverly or like pj tucker (laughs) you know like guys like that that'd be so funny just to get a team like of literal vultures on that team but um yeah and another aspect to his question was considering like you can't really name a team that is off of basketball equipment because you, you got to learn from the Brooklyn Nets. Like, they're, they're literally the Brooklyn Nets. Like, who's your mascot for the Brooklyn Nets, you know? Bro, you just got to look up at the rim and you'll find their mascot standing there. <laughs> yeah, I it's it's such a dumb name, but... I think you, yeah. could, you could really mix it up as Vegas, you know? Like, I'm a big fan of those random type of names. Like, well, one of my fantasy teams is named, like, the Fort Lauderdale Fisherman. Just, <laughs> just something random, like... Maybe you could go for like the Vegas Vindicators or something like that. Like maybe they're a very vindictive team. Or, I don't know. I I vote if you get a franchise in Vegas, you have to name it something, something wild, something just yeah. way out there. That's that's my vote. It has to reflect their culture. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for the question. Um. We'll be tackling more questions as they as they come our way. Um. We'll still figure out a way how to for you guys to send in questions anonymously but yeah we'll figure it out then but um yeah thanks again for listening to our pod and uh we'll catch you in the next episode